God's so good. I want to invite you to open up the Revelation chapter 2. We're going to take a look at the church of Thyatira tonight as we continue our journey through uh, the book of Revelation. We find ourselves in the second part of the threefold division in the book of Revelation. Remember when, when John wrote the book, Jesus told him, write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. What did he see? Remember, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's like pulling the curtain off and letting everyone see the reality, complete reality of who Jesus is. Chapter 2 and 3, he's told, write the things which are. The things which are at the time of John. We find ourselves in the period where the churches were beginning. So we have seven letters to seven churches, right? And each one of those has something for you and I. It's something we got to glean. Now, it is possible to work our way through the seven churches and see the, the, the age of the church throughout history in each of the seven. And I, I, am, I, don't, I don't often do it that way. Because when I say Ephesus is the apostolic church and the church of the first age, then people think I don't need to apply that. And that's not how the, every one of these sections, every one of these little... Uh, dictations from Jesus Christ to John ends with the same phrase, right? Let him who has, what? Ears. So we decided that's each of us, right? We all got ears. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the, what's the last word? Church is, right? Plural. Means each one of these letters to a specific church for specific issues in that specific church has application to every church. So, like Ephesus, we want to make sure we're not among those who have left our first love. Like Smyrna, we want to remember that when we find ourselves in times of despair and persecution, that Jesus Christ's word to that church was, be faithful till you die. Not be faithful until I make it all go away. Right? So that's the call that the Lord has for us. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We also see... At Pergamos, where compromise began uh, to enter into that church. And so we need to be careful to guard against compromises, right? And tonight, as we look at Thyatira, Thyatira, most of our Bibles might have a heading that says something like the corrupt church, but it's just the next progression. Okay, the, the progression in the Christian life is once we begin to compromise, where are we headed to? Corruption. That's where that goes. We need to understand where that road leads, right? You guys want to know when you get on a certain road that it goes to where you're trying to arrive at? If you get on the road of compromise, you need to know. Compromise leads to corruption. Compromise never leads to something good. It always makes it worse. Remember we talked a little bit about that. The devil, what's the devil's big ability? His ability is always to take a situation and make it better or worse. Worse, right? Worse. Every time we see him, he can do lying signs and lying wonders, but there are never signs or wonders that make a situation better. There are signs and wonders that make a situation worse, more difficult, more of a struggle. So tonight we're going to take a look at the immoral church, or, or a corrupt church, a church that's a step beyond where Pergamos was <coughs> last time. We're going to look at Thyatira. Now Thyatira is the smallest of all of the churches written to. And it has the biggest letter. Longest letter to the seven churches, to the smallest church. Thyatira was known to be a town full of guilds. They had a guild, well, so the easiest way to understand guilds is like labor union. This is a labor town. And so they had a union for everything. If you were in the clothing industry, you were in the clothing union. If you were in, you know, the... Uh, um, Building industry, you're, you're in that union. Whatever union, whatever thing you did, well, you might remember a person from Thyatira. If you remember Paul's writing, he talks about a woman from Thyatira who was a dealer in purple. You remember what her name was? Lydia, right. So he talks about Lydia being a dealer of purple. She was from Thyatira. So she would have been a part of that union. Each one of these guilds or unions had their own deity, their own idol that they worshipped. And built around that idol was, all, was, was uh, several 
things that were required um, for everyone within that guild or union to participate in. So you can see where that might lead a Christian toward compromise, right? Well, it's my job. I got to do my job, and my job requires me to to be a part of some of this false worship. It requires me to be a part of some of these circumstances I'm, I'm not really into, but in these little compromises that begin small end up taking them to a place that Jesus tells them it's not where you want to be. So this is Thyatira. Let's take a look at it. Uh, let's begin Revelation chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 18. Let's read the whole letter <coughs> together. And then we'll back up and take a look at it. Now to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches will know, I am he who searches the mind and the heart." And I will give to each one according to your work. Now, to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, uh, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations." And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I also have received from my father, then I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we just lift up this section of Scripture to you, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would open up our our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our minds, open up our ears. God, that we can receive the word that your spirit has for us this evening, God. That we would not allow this time to pass without realizing that there's something in the letter to the church of Thyatira for me personally. There's something in the letter to the church of Thyatira for our church, Lord, that there's something here that we need to glean, that we need to um, recognize, Lord, and then to be obedient to what your word is calling us to. We pray, God, that your spirit would guide us and lead us, and ultimately that you be glorified as we open your word, God. Lead us into your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's have an examination of this church. Begin in verse 18. It says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Now remember, every time, every letter to the seven churches begins with part of the unveiling of Jesus. Something about Jesus, his characteristics or attributes, that was applicable to that church. So the reason that Jesus describes himself this way is to help them, encourage them to deal with the issues that are going on as a part of that church. So he begins simply, and the only place in the book of Revelation where the phrase is, with the title, the Son of God. The Son of God should lead us directly and immediately to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 was a psalm that was read every time a king was crowned in Israel. When a king was crowned, they'd read Psalm 2. They didn't read Psalm 2 because they believed that king was a fulfillment of Psalm 2. They read Psalm 2 because they're looking forward to the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. So one day, one of the kings, we sit down on the throne. One of the ones we we sing this psalm over is going to be the Son of God, the Messiah. So in Psalm 2, we'll pick it up at verse 7. It says this, "I I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So ask of me, 
And I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them to pieces like potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings, and instructed, O judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in Him. He begins with that phrase. would have led everybody to that concept. Okay, the Son of God. That reminds me of Psalm 2. When did God declare the King to be His Son? When He was enthroned. When was Jesus Christ enthroned? We see Him at the resurrection and the ascension in Daniel chapter 7. When the Son of Man came before the Ancient of Days. You guys remember? He comes up to the Ancient of Days. We read in Psalm uh, 110 where the Lord says to His Son... Sit on my throne until I make your enemies your footstool, right? The enthronement ceremony. Jesus Christ is crowned as king. And so it reminds the the fulfillment of Psalm 2 we see in, in Jesus Christ. And what is it that he's called in that psalm to do? Keep the sun central. Trust in the sun, right? Keep your eyes focused on the sun. That concept, kiss the sun, is all wrapped up, guys, in the idea of worship. Worship in the Greek is the the word proskuneu. Proskuneu means to turn towards, to kiss. So when we talk about, I want to worship the Lord God and Him only, it's an intimate term of looking unto God. Intimately looking, wanting to see His face. The, the concept of, of worship, kiss the sun. And what do we see in the return of the sun? When we see, guys, in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, <clears throat> the tribulation period and ultimately the second coming of Jesus Christ, he does not come timid. Right? He's not coming timid. So first he says, I'm the son of God. Secondarily, he says, eyes like a flame of fire, which tell about what? He has a penetrating gaze. Can we hide anything from Jesus Christ. Can we hide anything from the Lord God? Is there any way to hide anything from His scrutiny? Is He able to see right through us? Think about what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. It says this, And there is no creature hidden from His sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of Him with whom we must give account. Does Jesus see it all? Yeah. You ever been somewhere and somebody knows you're a Christian, you come walking up and, and maybe they were talking a certain way, but now that you're there, they don't want to talk that way and they may make comment about it. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse my French. You know, and I often think, what are you worried about me for? You ought to be worried about God, not me. But I'm nobody. I'm nothing. But Jesus sees it all, right? Jesus sees it all. So he's telling the church, okay, I'm the son of God enthroned. I'm the king. I'm the king on the throne. He says, ask of me. God says to the Son, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. What's the word of God declare? What does Jesus inherit at the end of the tribulation period? What, what is coming upon the world? The kingdom of God, right? The nations as an inheritance. It, it's all His. How many knees will bow? Every knee, right? Every knee, every tongue confesses. So we see the enthronement of the King and He says, look, I have eyes. And I see it all. Nothing is hidden from me. And then he says, he has feet like fine brass. Always brass is a a metal spoken of in Scripture that speaks of judgment. And and remember we talked a little bit about it. It's like the feet that have been walking through the fire. When brass goes through fire, what does it look like? It's like glowing red, remember? And this this is how... The feet of Messiah are described as the one who is trampling the grapes of the wrath of God. Remember? Kiss the sun lest his wrath is kindled a little. When Jesus Christ returns, guys, he's not, <clears throat> he's not returning um, apart from his wrath. He's coming in his wrath. That's what 6 through 19 is all about, right? In chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, you want to read ahead, read about it. It says, all the mighty, all the powerful, all the great men of the earth are going to hide themselves in the rocks and cry out to the earth, hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb being 
poured out. So, this is what he's talking about. I see everything, and I'm coming in judgment. I'm the king, I see everything, and I'm coming in judgment. And so, and really, when we look at each of these seven letters, isn't he judging his church? Each one, he's given commendation. Here's what you're doing good. Each one, he gives condemnation. Here's what you're messing up. And each one, he gives a promise to the overcomer, right? So we take a look at it. He's going to move to, to what they're doing well. And what we're going to see in Thyatira, the church that, that our Bibles may title as a corrupt church, the church that has taken the next step after Pergamos, and there's more issues wrapped up in it, he's going to tell them there is evidence of spiritual life in your church. Look at all the things, all the positive things he sees in Thyatira. He says in verse 19, I know your works, your love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Each one tells us that there is evidence of a strong spiritual life. There's life in this church. We're going to come to some churches where Jesus is going to say, you're dead. But Thyatira is not one of them. Thyatira is not that. What do we say first? You have the proper motivation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I can speak every language. In fact, no language is withheld from me. I can even speak the language of the angels. But if I have not love, what? That's clanging symbol. It profits me nothing. If I have all knowledge, if I have all power, and I can say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, and the mountain flies into the sea. I can have all that power, but if I don't have love, the Bible says, it profits me nothing. So they have the right motivation. Ephesus had left their first love, but what does he say about Thyatira? I know your works, your love. Whenever we talk about love, guys, love is always twofold. Twofold. What do I mean? Love is always love of God and what's the other? Love of man. Love of people. Love God. Love people. You want to fulfill all the law? You don't have to go through the 613 commandments. You don't have to memorize them. You don't have to know them by heart. You know what you got to know? I need to, in my actions, love God and love people. If I do those two things, I fulfill the law. That's, that's not that complicated. That's why John's going to tell us in a while, keeping... The law of God is not burdensome. It's not easy. I didn't say it was easy. But I did say that, the, that when we look at that a concept, loving God and loving people, it's, the concept is simple. Performance, that's why we need God, right? That's why we need God. Let's take a look. So they have the, the proper motivation they love. What else we see? We see effective ministry. Why? It says they had, he says, I know your love and your service. The word service is diakonos. It's the same word from which the noun form is a deacon. This is the verb. The verb, it means to serve. The idea of diakonos is to spend your love in service on another. Serving others. So he says, I know your love, love of God, Love of the saints. I know your service, spending your love with one another, spending, serving one another. And then he says, they have the right message. And I know your faith. Right? In the English, it just says the word faith. But in the Greek, it has the definite article before the word faith. So what that means is, their doctrine. They're orthodox. What does orthodox mean? They have the traditional Christian beliefs. What does that come from? Only one place doesn't come from a church comes from the word of god what the word of god says that's christian doctrine that's what we hold to that's what we hold fast that's our ultimate foundation right what's god's word say we got to lay hold of that so he says you guys have the right message the faith i know that you hold to the faith the teaching of the word of god so you have the right motivation you have love you have you have the right kind of effective ministry in how you serve one another. You have the right message. You're holding fast to the Word of God. And then he says, I know about your endurance. He says, your patience. That word patience, hupomone, means to bear up under a burden. So I just want you to get the picture. Like a, Sometimes it's helpful to talk in word pictures. The idea of patience, that word, is like you're in a vice and you're being crushed but you're bearing it 
you're, you're standing there. So I used to tell a story a long time ago to, to kind of illustrate the idea. A, a young man, God told a young man, son, I want you to go out and I want you to push this rock. It's a humongous rock. It was an impossible rock to move. But the young man, very clearly, the Lord said, I, I want you to push this rock. So he went out and he pushed with all his might on that rock. And one day passed to the next day, to the next day, pretty soon weeks have gone by, months, years. We're going long in all this time. He's been pushing against his rock, but our rock has never moved. And he's been discouraged and he's been disappointed. But all that time, he's continued to push and continued to push. And finally, one day he just stops. And he cries out to God. He says, God, man, I've been pushing on this thing for years and that rock has not moved a single inch. And Jesus said, I didn't tell you to move the rock. I told you to push it. That's what hupomone means. Bear up under the burden. Jesus would say to that young man, now you're prepared. But prior to spending the years pushing that rock, you weren't ready for service. Your shoulders weren't ready for the burden. Your muscles weren't strong enough for the things that you have yet to face. So I asked you to push the rock, but I never told you to move it. Sometimes in our Christian ministry, and I think Christianity does a very poor job of this, because we sell Christianity as come to Jesus and he'll solve all your problems. And then if you spend any time reading the Bible, that's not what you find there. Is it? I mean, sometimes, I'm not going to say God doesn't do miracles. Absolutely God does miracles. But you read the book of Jeremiah and tell me how God solved all his problems. You read the book of Hosea, tell me how God solved all his problems. You start going through the word of God and what you see over and over again is the same word God gave to Smyrna. What was the word to Smyrna? Be faithful unto death. Stay faithful. Stay faithful even if I don't take you out of the fire. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say when they went in? Our God's able to deliver us, but even if He don't, and you throw us in that fire, we're not bowing. That's what it means to bear up, to be patient, to bear up under the pressure, right? Because the reality, guys, of the Christian life is life is hard. Is anybody in here not know that yet? So we've all got some, how about life's disappointing? Anybody been disappointed with life? How about everything in life doesn't always work out like you think it should? So we got all that, right? We recognize that that's the reality of life. And nowhere in God's word does God say, if you come to me, all those things are going to be solved. But what he does say is, if you come to me, I will give you the strength you need to walk through all those things. Remember the 23rd Psalm. We go to the 23rd Psalm every time... Uh, there's a funeral service. When we go to the 23rd Psalm, what does it say? It doesn't say, well, maybe you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and maybe you're not. What does it say? Yeah, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. It's personal there. You are with me. You, that's God's promise to us. That's what we have in Christianity that you don't have apart from Christ. You have Him with you in the, in the, in the crashings of life, in the disappointments of life, and all those things. And what's God's word to us in all that? Be faithful. Stand. Bear up. Push the rock. You won't have to push it forever. Here's one of the big struggles, and it. it's helpful to have perspective. And <clears throat> I'll do it fast. I don't have a lot of time. But look, we put all this emphasis on our life here and let's just to make round numbers i'm not trying to tell anybody that you're beyond the point of life but let's just say for sake of argument that the life is 80 years that's life and if i took a rope and i strung it from that wall to that wall representing your existence in christ the dot of your 80 years on that rope would be so small, you couldn't even see it. Because when you're with Christ, you're going to be with Him for how long? 80 years? No, eternity, right? How long is eternity? A long time. What does the Bible tell us over and over and over again about our life here? It's like grass. It's quick. The older I get, the quicker it goes, right? 
Boom. It's just picking up speed. It's like a rock rolling down a hill. Shh, it gets going. But when I, when I am so focused on the issues in my life, I am putting an inordinate amount of pressure on one dot in a huge rope. You guys understand what I'm saying? Eternity with Christ is so much more than whatever's happening in this life. Or whatever's happening in my marriage. Which just made that dot even smaller, right? Because that's a smaller period of time in my life. Or whatever's happening during my parenting. That even got smaller, right? So it's a, the thing is, it's all about perspective. Where's our perspective? Where's our focus when we look at this idea of bearing up? Because whatever God's asking us to bear up under, the pressure He's asking us to bear up under, when we are in eternity, is going to be so insignificant. That's why Paul would say, I can't, even, I can't even tell you it's worth comparing what I'm suffering now with the glory that will be revealed when I'm in Christ Jesus. So we want to try to keep perspective. But here, Jesus is praising Him. Good job. Great love. Good job on your service. You're doing an awesome job with your service. You have the right faith. You're holding fast to the Word of God. You're enduring. And what else are they doing? They're growing in all of those. And the last is better than the first. So there's a growth taking place, right? It's increasing. Your, your, your abilities, your, the gifts, the things that you're accomplishing, you're increasing in those things. <coughs> the Christian life is not a life that is static. The Christian life is a life of progressing. If we're static, we're not really moving, we're falling behind. Right? Hebrews is going to describe it as be careful about drifting. We don't want to just drift down river. That river's not going where we want to go. We want to be able to power forward by fulfilling those things that God wants us to do. Okay, so that's our commitment. Hey, good job. Thyatira, you're doing great. Then we come to verse 20. He says this, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Jezebel. When we come to Jezebel, probably the woman here in Thyatira's name wasn't Jezebel, but everybody knows what Jezebel means. If you spend any time studying the Word of God, Jezebel's famous. Wicked woman. (laughs) She's not a good person. She is an immoral leader. And what they're talking, what he's talking about here is, look, we've got an immoral leader that has led us to cultural compromises that have brought us into a corrupt station in sin. So, so Jesus is saying, here's your problem. You got a Jezebel there. You got a Jezebel. What do we know about her? We know, all we know is that, that she was a woman. We know that she was a self-appointed prophetess. Right? What's the scripture say? She calls herself a prophetess, right? Doesn't say God made her a prophetess, does it? No? Okay, so she, she's self-appointed prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess who teaches and seduces believers. Teaches and seduces. So what we've got going on in this failure in Thyatira is compromise that leads to corruption. Compromise that leads to corruption. And there's a figure there, representative by the biblical Jezebel, that says, hey, this person is is putting that out. Saying everything's okay. It's okay. It's not a big deal. We're just going to make compromise with that issue. Now remember, one of the things that they were commended for was the fact they had the right message. They're holding fast to the faith. Is there ever a time when the Word of God comes into conflict with the world? Okay, so when the Word of God comes into conflict with the world, and we compromise with the world, that is a failure on our part. Are you with me? If the Word of God comes into conflict with the world, whatever worldly wisdom says... There are lots of people, I promise you right now, you can, you can go online and search for solutions about, about why these things that the Bible very clearly calls sin uh, are okay in Christian circles today. Church after church after church is just saying, you know what, now as we move forward, it's like there's a new revelation. Is there a new revelation? 
According to the book of Hebrews, God finished everything he had to say in his son, Jesus Christ. So as we work our way through the word, we want to hold fast to the word. This prophetess is taking the word, twisting the word to compromise so that it comes in line. Now think about Thyatira. How did it fit in them? How did it fit in them? Well, you were part of a, a union. Your union had a false god. That false god had certain practices that you were expected to be a part of. Certain parties that you needed to come to. Certain celebrations that you needed to join in. If you don't join in, you can't be in the union. They're going to get put out. Now you can't make a living. So there's a Jezebel. Whether it's an actual woman or a spirit of Jezebel in the leadership of the church, the idea is they were making compromise with all of that and it was leading to corruption. And so the leadership was actually teaching them to that it was okay to walk in sexual immorality, two things, right? Sexual immorality and eat meat sacrificed idols. And every time we see the idea of eating meat sacrificed idols, what's that? That's just a compromise with the culture. Right? Remember Paul writes a lot about this, doesn't he? And in first and second uh, uh, Corinthians and Romans, <clears throat> many of Paul's epistles goes into this concept of what can you eat? Can you eat meat that's sacrificed to idols? Can you buy meat that's sacrificed to idols? How is it supposed to go? How should you do it? And basically, Paul's overarching theme was to be careful about your brother in regard to all those things that you don't put a stumbling block before your brother to cause him to stumble in whatever you may have liberty to do. Paul said, I'm free, I'm free, I can do all this stuff, but I won't do anything that stumbles my brother. So I, I, I'm free, I, don't, I know there's nothing wrong with this, I know idols aren't real, I know that all those people are just worshiping demons, and I'm not about that, but if it's going to cause a brother to stumble, or if it's going to cause issue, I'm not making that compromise, I'm going to stay apart. Here, in Thyatira, they were, they were making that compromise, right? Two things, she teaches and seduces Believers to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So you have cultural compromise, compromising with the culture, which causes the church to lose effective witness. If there's a way that you would describe the church today in the United States, that's not the word you would use? Having lost effective witness? Because most people look at the church and say, man, well, the church don't have nothing to offer. The same amount of people are divorced in the church that are divorced in the world. Church doesn't have anything. There's no difference in the church and there is outside. There's no distinction that really makes a difference. No distinction that makes a difference. The idea is <coughs> that, there, that there is a failure, the compromise that leads to corruption. And sexual immorality can be both. Reality that they are practicing sexual immorality because many of those celebrations of the false idols would have involved things like that. Or it can be talking about just the fact that you're worshiping other gods. You, you have created God in your own image. You've made a, a, an idol out of worship. The Bible often talks about idol worship as sexual immorality, right? But the reality is, if we make sexual immorality a real thing, is the church any different than the world? The reality is no. It's not. Same amount of sexual immorality out there is in the building. And why is that? Well, what Jesus is laying out for him is you've accepted this teaching of cultural compromise that these things aren't important. It's okay, we'll just, we'll just uh, you know, turn away from it. We won't pay any attention to it. We won't, we won't worry about it. We'll just say it's all good. And you lose your effective witness and any ability to engage the culture with the truth. So now you don't have anything to say. And whatever you say, everybody calls them hypocrites. Oh, you guys, just you're just like me. What are you talking about? So there's, <clears throat> there's this idea, this compromise. And then beyond that, if the scripture also tells us that she's guilty of sexual immorality. Again, whether that is real physical sexual immorality or worshiping other gods is, is irrelevant, both are looked at in the same way. She is guilty. And what did God say? What did Jesus say about her? And I gave her what? Time to repent. Man, one of the most important things, it is impossible to be a Christian and not live a life of repentance. 
Let me try that again. It is impossible to be a Christian and not live a life of repentance. All throughout the book of Revelation, we're going to see this common theme. God giving them time to repent and they would not repent. God giving them time to repent and they would not repent. He's giving her time to repent. He's calling her to repent. What does the word say? All day long, Jesus says, I hold out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So that's a long time, right? And what is required to enter into that embrace? Simple repentance. Simple repentance. Forgive me. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for, for I have sinned. What's 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. So we need to have a life of repentance. But what is her issue? She's unrepentant. Absolutely unrepentant. So that's a big issue. <laughs> if you're unrepentant, that's not a Christian stance. A Christian stance is a repentant stance. To be quick to repentance and asking the Lord for forgiveness. So he gave her time, but she's unrepentant. She did not repent, right? <coughs> I gave her time to repent. But she would not. Now in verse 24, we're going to also see that there is a certain element of satanic influence, right? Some type of satanic influence that's behind all this. Because look, the devil learned a long time ago, guys, how to affect the church. You don't affect the church from persecution outside. That makes the church grow like crazy. You stop persecuting outside and you become a member. Then you come into the church and you start sowing seeds of discord. You start sowing seeds that say, you know what, this guy that they got there, he's a loser. I don't know what they're... Or, you know, that church made this decision. That's just so dumb. I can't believe they would do that. And that's how the devil works. And can the devil do that with a believer? Can the devil whisper that in the ear of a believer and that believer cause discord within the church? Yeah. If they, Let's say, I don't, know, I don't know the number. Let's say there's, there's 20 churches in Buell. How come all those churches aren't thriving? I've been here for seven years. There were three pastors who all came in the Buell at the same time. Me, two other guys. And I'm the only one still here. Now, I don't know. I'm not trying to say they did something wrong or they didn't do nothing wrong. I'm just saying what's wrong. The devil's good at what he does. What's he do? He sows seeds of discord. What does God hate? Seeds of discord. We make compromise with ourselves and say, well, it's not really a big deal. You know, I should have the right to speak my mind. Sure. You can speak your mind. The Bible tells us very clearly how to do it, doesn't it? If you've got a problem with somebody, what are you supposed to do? Everybody knows nobody does it. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to go to somebody else and tell them about them? Are you supposed to go to somebody else and complain about, uh, what a, what a, I don't know why this guy's doing that? Are you supposed to go gather up a little force to try to correct the situation? What does the Bible say to do? Go to your brother, the one with whom you are offended, and speak to your brother. That's what we're supposed to do. But that don't happen in the church. Why? Because the devil's good at what he does. What's he do? He sows seeds of compromise that lead to corruption and rip off the effective ability within the church to have a witness within a community, and then pretty soon you end up with dead churches, empty churches. And we don't have nobody to blame but us. Because we're allowing that spirit of Jezebel, right, to, to make us ineffective. Look at what the Lord has to say as he moves toward what he's going to do about it, the judgment phase. <coughs> it says in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, listen to this. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You listen to that? For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. What is important for us to do? Remember I told you a Christian life is a life of what? Repentance, right? If I judge myself, I'm spending a lot. My prayers are mostly, God forgive me for how I did this or what I said there. God, I, you know, I messed up that situation. In that house, I, and it, I can't be the only one. <laughs> I'm just telling you. 
you believe whatever you want, but I can't be the only one. So what is it? We, we got we to gotta judge ourselves so we won't be judged. Listen, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned by the world. God chastens those whom he loves, right? He corrects his sons. He corrects his sons. Thank God for that. Yeah? Thank God for that. He corrects his sons. What is, that's how it's supposed to be, right? That's how it's supposed to be. When we're in a position of authority, we should correct those under our authority that are in error. That's love, right? Part of loving God, loving people. So Revelation 2, 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, <clears throat> unless they repent. See the call for repentance. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one according to your works. Now he's telling you what the eyes of fire and the feet of brass were all about. I can see. I know what's going on. I know what's in your heart. I know what's happening. And I'm going to give you according to your works. I'm going to give you according to your works. Now he says, he says that to you, but to her. He says, I'm going to cast her in the sickbed. I'm going to cast her into the sickbed. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14, it says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So a life of a believer is also a life of pursuit, right? Pursuing peace, pursuing holiness. Looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. When bitterness comes in, you know, bitterness is like drinking poison, waiting for somebody else to die, right? It messes with you. But when we sow seeds of discord, or we gossip, or we do things like that, you realize that, that we are causing others to become defiled. When we choose to listen, we're opening ourselves up to receive that defilement in our own lives. And we participate, we're just spreading the cancer. In Proverbs it says... That it, where there's no wood, there's no fire. The idea of Proverbs is, don't give ear. You're actually loving your brother or sister who comes to you and, and, and is uh, falling short of the grace of God. And you're loving them when you say, you know what, we should let's stop. Let's not talk about them, let's pray for them. Now you've helped erase defilement. Do you understand? Now you're, you're helping <clears throat> to be a part of a solution. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. You know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit a blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. No place for repentance. No place. Look, you guys understand that there's a point in a person's life <clears throat> where God will say this far and no further. You get that? You guys remember Pharaoh? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? That's biblical. Yes, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There's a point where God hardens a heart. Esau despised everything about God. He didn't want his dumb birthright. He, he didn't care anything about the spiritual blessing or any of that. Any of it. We stay in that place. We stay in a place of bitterness. We stay in a place of hard-heartedness. Remember when your kids used to get a goofy face? <clears throat> look at you all mean and you say, you know, if somebody smacks you on the back of the head, you get stuck like that? That's what God's saying. You keep that outlook on your face. You keep that outlook in your heart and you're going to get stuck like that. That's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? That's a pretty serious warning. This is his warning to Thyatira. So what's he say? I'm going to cast her into a sick bed. She's been in a love bed. I'm going to put her in a sick bed. I'm going to put those who commit adultery, who are a part of her doctrine and teaching, I'm going to put them into great tribulation. What's God's purpose in that? To bring about repentance. If repentance comes, what's he do? He embraces you and welcomes you in. <clears throat> and finally, so there's three things. Disease, distress, and ultimately death. I will kill her children with death. The idea of death is pestilence. That the sickness that has come upon her is going to spread to her children. The children are... Her offspring, those who grow up under her teaching and go forward to bring that. Now, what's his purpose in this for the churches? 
that all the churches would know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your work. He has eyes to see. And He's coming with feet to bring judgment. And the Bible tells us very clearly where is judgment going to begin. In the house of the Lord. Judgment will begin in the house of the Lord. So what's His call to us? Judge yourself. Look. See. Is this, does this have application? If it don't have application, awesome. Praise God. If it does have application, what's all, what's all that God's looking for out of us? Repent. Repent. And He'll forgive. And there's utter, complete restoration. That's God's Word. He goes on to tell us then the exhortation to the faithful. Now I say to you the rest, to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. What's he saying? You guys are doing great. This issue is a problem. And if you let that bitterness in you, it's going to corrupt you. That compromise will bring corruption and you'll become ineffective. I'm not telling you you got to do anything else. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay away from bitterness. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay away from compromise. Keep doing what you're doing. Stay away from corruption. What did he say to Smyrna? Be faithful how long? To death. Does he want anything different from Thyatira? Is he telling Thyatira to be faithful for 10 minutes? No, he's going to tell him in just a moment, right? He's, he's going to tell him in verse 26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. You hear that phrase. That's the first time he's used that in one of these letters. Usually it's just a he who overcomes. <laughs> keeps my works until the end. I will give him power over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And they will be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. That's a quote from Psalm 2. As I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He told them, hold fast until I come, and to he who overcomes. Remember we talked about this last time. 1 John chapter 5, 3-5, through 5, same author. That's why I'm going to point to this and say this is what John means when he talks about the overcomer. The overcomer is not somebody who doesn't struggle with bitterness. The overcomer is not somebody who overcomes all these struggles of Thyatira. The overcomer is defined by John in 1 John chapter 5. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 3, it says, This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Remember that word keep, guard, treasure, hold, obey, follow, all of those things wrapped up in that word <coughs> to keep. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So anything that is born of God. Another way of saying that. Anything that is born again. Is overcoming the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Our faith. What is our faith? Our faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Who is he who is an overcomer? Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes Jesus is the Son of God. If you're an overcomer, you're an overcomer before the letter began, and you're an overcomer when the letter ends. You are one whose faith is in Jesus Christ. So the promise to him who has faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to have power over the nations. Now tonight I don't have time to get into it because I'm already late. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19, the parable of the minas. You guys remember the parable of the minas? Very distinct parable. The master goes away and he tells his servants, do business till I come. He gave them all ten minas. And he said, do business till I come. And when he comes back and he gives, they give account to him of what they did with their ten minas, what does he tell each of them? Okay, you, ha you were faithful with a little. Now you can rule over ten cities. Oh, you were faithful... With a little, but you didn't have quite the return, you can now rule over five cities. What is Jesus declaring here in Revelation? That the, that the church is going to sit beside him and rule over the nations, the world. There will be authority given by Christ to his faithful. To those who have been faithful, they will receive more. Those who have not been faithful, even what they have will be taken away. That's what the, the, the parable lays out for us. We want to be doing business 
with our Lord, for our Lord, until He comes. And that which we do is going to decide what we have, what, what portion there is, what, what part of responsibility we will have in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so he says, the overcomer, the one who believes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, man, I, I'm, he's going to rule with me. He's going to sit with me on the throne, and Jesus is going to rule the rod of iron. That's all total obedience, right? We already said, every knee and every tongue. So not only will we have power over the nations, what else does he promise? And I will give him the morning star, right? What's the morning star? Proverbs 4.18 says, But the path of the just is like the shining of the sun. <clears throat> it shines ever brighter until the perfect day. Until the perfect day. Think about that for a moment. It kind of makes sense when you put it beside Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, uh, verse 2 and 3, says that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, some to everlasting com- contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the firmament, the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. The reflection of the stars. Second Peter 1.19 says this, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises where? In your heart. Still, what's this morning star he gives us? Revelation 22.16. You don't have to worry about who's speaking. He says it in the first two words. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. The what? Bright and morning star. You know that the Bible says that when once we are with Jesus, we'll never be without him again? Ever. He gives us the morning star, we get him. We get him. He's our portion. He's our reward. And if there's something else in heaven that's drawing you to heaven, then you don't understand who Jesus Christ is, because he is it. He is the ultimate, the absolute reality, and we want to be with Him forever and ever. The letter, fourth, we're going to see these next letters to the churches are all a little bit different to draw attention to them for a variety of different reasons. We'll look at that next week, but hopefully this week something in the church of Thyatira strikes a nerve with us and we recognize what it is that Jesus is telling us through His Word. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.